Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rock Him Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon B.K. Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. I'm still mad. <laughs> That's never going to change. I'm less salty about it, though, no. I- I've taken some meds. I'm, I'm feeling okay. Having a beer. Uh, B.K., how are you doing? I'm doing all right, man. Uh, I- I'm still mad as well, and we'll get to it, but Eli Drinkwitz's comments today we're recording this on tuesday i've got something going on tomorrow i'm watching history out of the out of bush stadium with adam wainwright and yadier molina breaking the record for the most starts by a duo uh battery unit in major league baseball so i'm going out there for that so we're doing this a day early Drinkwitz talked today with the media he made me mad once again <laughs> so it made me have all of those feelings uh one more time but i'm doing better than i was when we recorded on saturday yeah, my friend yeah i think we can all agree to that uh, some pretty good venting sessions out there. I'm, I'm proud of Mizzou Media, Mizzou fans. I uh, thought that was a very therapeutic couple days of kind of tweeting through it, potting through it, posting through it. Just get get it out. Get it out. Uh, that's, you know, as long as you're not doing anything stupid or making wildish claims that are just completely founded in nothing. Like, yeah, just, just go, baby. Just go. Uh, we did it. Obviously, everyone else did it. So hopefully you're all feeling better, even with the comments today. Uh, let's start with a bit of news, though, actually. Like a, a couple hours ago, Blake Baker told uh, the Mizzou beat riding contingent that M- Mr. Marcus Clark, the cornerback transfer from the U, uh, Miami, is eligible to play this season. And that will start this Saturday. Uh, so he wears number 29. He is a corner by trade and looks like he will be a corner here at Missouri as well. He is familiar with the Blake Baker defense. He had a year of that under his belt before he transferred over to Missouri. 
do the Missouri corners need the help? I mean, maybe. You haven't you certainly haven't seen them get roasted uh just on a on a pure athlete on athlete standpoint. But uh adding experience to again, the youngest position group on the team is never a bad thing. But it is kind of surprising. Like that's where you want to spend your 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 scholarships when they're coming at a premium at, at, on another corner. So we'll see how he fits into the rotation. We saw Enos Rakestraw. We've seen Drayden Norwood. We saw a little bit of DJ Jackson. It's, you know, maybe Clark is going to fit somewhere in there. But uh, BK, I mean, this this is kind of a, eh, okay. Do you see that being an impact other than just a noticeable addition to the rotation? Not really. I, I mean, it's just so hard to know exactly what Marcus Clark's going to bring to the rotation. Like, you look at this game against K-State, and for example, Ennis Rakestraw played every single snap defensively for Mizzou. He ended up playing 66 snaps. He and J.C. Carlisle were the two that played 66 snaps defensively for them. Chris Abrams' drain was at 59. The next highest in terms of the cornerback unit uh, for snap count in this game was Dalen Carnell, who plays that star position mm-hmm. at 17. And then you go down to Drayden Norwood at 13. Mm-hmm. And DJ Jackson, and that was pretty much it. He had one. So, like, they essentially have zero rotation right now at the cornerback spot. And that's kind of the case at most of the spots in the secondary this year. Mm-hmm. Unlike previous years where they would rotate guys in and out, it's pretty much, hey, these are the guys that we trust, and we're just going to go ahead and play them for basically every snap. And I I guess that's fine, but at corner, I would like a little bit more of a rotation, especially when you're going up against a team. Like, K-State's different because they're not running fly routes or anything. They're just running the football constantly. But once you get into some of these other games where you're going up against offenses where they're trying to run you off the ball consistently, those corners will get gassed, and you're going to need a little bit more depth. So it is nice to have an extra corner that they potentially trust. And with a group of uh, Rakestraw, Chris Abrams, Drain, Drayden Norwood, and now adding in Marcus Clark to that group. I do think that adds a little bit more depth of just one more guy that potentially Blake Blaker will be able to trust from that unit. Yeah. Again, experience is never a bad thing. Um, The corners kind of had their run defense tested on Saturday to, Mm. to mixed results. So if, if Marcus likes to get his face in there and and hit somebody good, we've, we've got, uh, got plenty of opportunities for you to do that. We'll see. Uh, you got a good point. There are going to be offenses that run a lot more nine routes and just gas you. So it would be nice to have another body in there that you trust. So, yeah, we'll see. We'll see how he how he plays. I don't know if he's going to start. Uh, we did not get an updated uh, depth chart this week. I don't think we're going to get updated depth charts as we go through the year. We certainly didn't last year. Uh, so uh, we're probably not going to know based off of a piece of paper, but we will keep track of snap counts, uh, both on a per game and uh, for the season as well, so we can get a good idea of who's getting the, the more noticeable snaps. And if it ends up being Marcus Clark being one of those guys, sure, he's experienced, he knows the system, That that's not a big deal. I don't think that says a lot about anything other than you just need a lot of bodies at every position to play the modern college football defense. So that is the biggest news coming out of the past couple of days. Eli Drinkwitz did meet with the media today, and I'm sure if you follow any beat writer or any outlet that covers the Tigers, you get bombarded with all the quotes. I will point out a couple. There's a couple that we want to talk about in particular. Uh, one that kind of got the Rock Him Slack channel all, all a flutter, and then one that I think, BK, you took particular offense to. So we'll, we'll start with the, the larger picture one. 
you heard our rant on the podcast on Saturday. Well, I'm assuming you listened to it. If this is your first show, hello, welcome, thank you. Go listen to the show for the last show before this one because we went on a rant. The biggest thing that we had, uh, we had a problem with 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 Saturday's performance, was that the offense that we saw against Louisiana Tech was not the offense we saw against Kansas State. And in the before the box score I posted today, I said the same thing. We saw creativity, we saw aggression, we saw unique looks, we saw a lot of motion, a lot of different ways that Eli Drinkwitz deployed his guys on offense to create mismatches, put his athletes in space, and he did none of that on Saturday against Kansas State. Almost as if there's a cloud in the sky and a purple wildcat on the field. Oh, oh, that means I can't do what I used to do. I don't know why. So it was really curious what he was going to say if anybody asked him about the offense in particular and, and why it changed and if what he was looking at uh, to make any changes. Well, Drinkwitz came out and said he had no reservations about what we're doing on offense schematically. So well, take, let me take your hand. Let me walk you into the Rockham Nation Slack. You've got two camps. The first is kind of in the get a load of this guy camp. <laughs> Your office just essentially got shut out until the, like the last seconds where you finally got a touchdown. And you're saying that there's no problem with that. And then you got the other camp, which is this is, you know, being the head football coach in a college football, that's a political role. You got to just kind of go out there and show optimism, show confidence. And like BK, you've said it before. College football coaches got to be a little narcissistic, got to be really confident in yourself, got to have that projection because you are leading impressionable young men and you are the face of a program. The last thing you're going to go out there is go, well, yeah, got my ass beat. I don't know what I'm doing, but we're going to figure it out. Uh, that's not going to that's not going to fly either. So I, I think we can split those two camps. I'm going to sit right in the middle like I usually do and say, look, yes. Eli Drinkwitz is not going to go in front of media and say that he screwed up. He's just not. At least not when it comes to offensive scheme, planning, execution, that sort of thing. He might say, oh, yeah, my bad on, on, on usage of players, but he's not going to say he made a mistake ever. Okay? Let's just get that out of the way. However, he did screw up. <laughs> the offense we saw on Saturday was not what we saw 14 days ago, and it would have been a better way of saying, hey, you know what? I understand the question, but we take a look at the film every single week. We reassess what we do well, what we need to improve on, and we're just going to work on it this week and get ready for Abilene Christian. That is an answer that doesn't answer the question, but gives you a little bit more, uh, I want to say humble, for lack of a better term, but a little bit more realistic answer to the question of what do you say about your offense that couldn't even muster 250 yards. We got this no reservations about what we're doing on offense schematically, chest thumping answer, which, okay. BK, what is your take on this? I think I probably fall more into the category of like, I'm not really sure there was anything that he was going to be able to say in this kind of a setting that would have appeased the appetite of Mizzou fans. And I'm not even saying that's a wrong thing. Like, I understand it if you're a Mizzou fan and you say to yourself, hey, man, I'm just mad because I am too. <laughs> like, I, I am mad as well. But like... What's he going to say that's going to make people happy? Like, there, there's nothing that he can say. And so I, I'm fine with it. And all of this is just talk. Like, Drinkwitz just talks a lot. And that's okay. Like, I, I think if he wins, it's fun that your coach talks mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. But when he does the losing, it, it's, <laughs> it's not as much fun when he's talking. And so I think it really just comes down to, like, are you mad at him? Or do you think that Saturday was just kind of inevitable? 
And if you think Saturday was inevitable, you're probably not mad about these comments. If you think that you're mad at him, then you're probably mad about these comments. And so I'm gonna be honest, I'm a little mad about the comments, but <laughs> it's not rational at all. And it doesn't matter. The thing that matters is in his heart of hearts, does he think there is something that should or could change with the offense? If the answer to that question is genuinely no, then that's way more problematic than mm -hmm. any comment that he would make today to the media. Correct. If the answer is yes, that he does think there are things that can and should be improved, though, then I could not care less what he says about that to the media on the Tuesday after he lost and got his butt whipped against K-State. Mm -hmm. So really what matters is what we see, not even on Saturday against Abilene Christian, because let's be honest, if this game matters, there's something that went horribly, horribly <laughs> wrong. What matters is what happens with the offense against Auburn, because I have no idea if Auburn's actually good or not. Um, I, I think I lean more into the category of they're not, but Missouri's not either. And so you're going to need a good offensive performance to be able to make that an interesting game. Right. So then we get to the second comment. And this one, I know for sure, really grinds your gears, BK. Yeah, this one chapped my ass. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> because <laughs> when asked about the punt, the punt unit, the punt return unit, BK, I, you know what? I'm, I'm just going to let you run with it. Go, baby, go. So Eli Drinkwitz was asked about the punt returner. You guys may have noticed that the punt returner wasn't particularly good this weekend and hasn't been good so far. And Drinkwitz basically said, yeah, we're going to have to look at that. We might have to switch things up there. That's a possibility. What did you think was going to happen there? This, this feels to me, some of the comments fall into this category for me. Nate, you ever seen the the meme of the guy in the hot dog suit? <laughs> and he's looking around saying, we're all looking around trying to find the guy that did this. <laughs> yes. That's Drinkwitz. Like, what what do you mean you didn't know what was going to happen here? Like, what do you, what do you mean you th you're thinking about switching up your punt returner? Like... No bleep you are, of course, because you know what? You have Luther Burden on your team. I think he forgot that this week. Like, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt here, Nate. Everything about this weekend feels so much better to me. If I just operate under the assumption that Drinkwitz forgot that Luther Burden is Luther Burden. Mm -hmm. like, everything makes so much more sense. <laughs> if he's like, oh, oh, no. I forgot that is Luther Burden. I thought I still had, like, you know, whoever, uh, Jamon Moore out there at wide receiver. That would change everything for me. <laughs> Unfortunately, he does have Luther Burden, and he doesn't seem to know how to use him against quality opponents, which is weird because he did seem to know exactly how to use him against the bad opponent on their schedule. So, yes. Eli, you should use Luther Burden against a team like K-State as a punt returner. And the other thing you absolutely should not do is worry about his snap count. Because that is another comment that he made earlier mm -hmm. today. According to Pro Football Focus, we, we got to see, and it didn't feel like this, but apparently Luther Burden played on 56 of the 67 snaps against Kansas State. Eli Drinkwood said, yeah, we need to kind of drop that snap count by about 20. <laughs> I, 
which is roughly the snap count that Barrett Bannister got over the weekend for what it's worth, Man's which is just jokes. Mm, jokes. Chef's kiss. I, I don't think that it is a coincidence that Luther Burden was on the field for 20 run blocking snaps. That that doesn't feel like a coincidence in terms of the number to me. Maybe he's just saying, hey, not sure that's a guy that I want out there for run blocking <laughs> plays. So instead, we're just going to have him out there for all the pass passing plays, which, oh boy, can't wait for teams to have another indicator on the offense. That's going to be great. But no, you should not eliminate snaps from Luther Burden. You should find new and creative ways to get Luther Burden the ball more often because you failed um, immeasurably at doing so on Saturday against K-State. So those were my my two comments that really bothered me from Eli Drinkwitz's press conference today. Limiting Luther Burden playing football is such a bizarre coaching tactic. <clears throat> I, it makes a lot of sense now why he's not putting him at punt returner because he's like, oh, well, we can only put him out there for 40 snaps. <laughs> yeah. He's capped at 60 plays. 40, 40 snaps, and then the he turns returner. into a pumpkin. All right. He's gremlin. Can't get him wet. Can't get him wet. Don't do it. I don't know, man. I, I really don't know. I don't know why there's a cap. He's clearly ready for to play college football. He could probably step into the NFL and do okay right now. Like, there, there's no question on what he can do. And if you see something different in practice, boy, he must be the worst practice player of all time. Of all time. So, I don't know. It seems just so bizarre that you would you would spend so many resources to get this kid onto campus and then just not use him. Not use him in any way at, at all. And that was my biggest gripe from Kansas State, and, and it's reflected in these comments. Eh, we don't want to use burden for everything. Why not? He really said this week in our punt return unit, we didn't field the ball the way we needed to. I think we lost 55 yards from not fielding punts. So we'll be looking to create competition at that position this week. Cool. Okay. All right. Okay. I'm glad Luther the whole reason they played Chris Abrams drain as the punt returner was to field them. Yeah. It's the whole reason he's back there and he doesn't field them. He just fair catches uh, or lets it bounce. Nate, I'm I am so mad at this team. Why are, so they, why are they being why are they being so dumb? Why, why do I allow them to do this to me? Is really <laughs> the question. Shouldn't have this kind of hold over me. Like you got you got ten assistant coaches. You got Eli Drinkwitz. That's like two hundred years of football experience, and they're all going the best player on our team. We should limit how much he plays. We should not let him do the things that he's good at. We shouldn't do that at all. At all. Don't do that. It's it's bizarre. It's so bizarre. I don't understand. Jacob. Okay, whatever. You manage your team as you see fit, Drinkwitz and friends. That's fine. That's so silly, but that's fine. So, of course, after any loss, you always get the person who says fire everybody. But it really feels like at this point, everyone's like, yeah, Drinkwitz has got to go. He's got to get fired. And as much as I disagree with the way he is handling this team two games in, and as frustrated as I am with his ability to, you know, manage a team and, and, and manage a game and call plays on the road or in the rain, as much frustration as I have right now about around Eli Drinkwitz and his 10 friends, guys, he's not getting fired. And I don't want him to be fired. That's so silly. Let's let's break this down in a couple different ways. Number one, let's look at the financial 
ramifications of doing this. When Eli Drinkwitz was hired, he was hired on a six-year, $24 million contract. He has a base salary of $450,000, but he's basically guaranteed $4 million a year. His staff, his assistant coaches, they have $5.2 million pool for the 10 assistant coaches. And then there's $1.2 million for the administrative staff. Now, if at any point Eli wins eight games or wins a bowl game, his contract is automatically extended for one additional year. Now, he hasn't done that, so we're still at the six-year $24 million. Okay, really easy math here. If Missouri were to fire him before the contract was completed, the university would be liable for 70% of total liquidated damages of the total remaining annual compensation for the remaining contract term. Basically, if you fire him before it's up, you owe him 70% of what's left. We're in year three. So we've paid him $8 million so far. We got the rest of this year. That's four. That's four million right there. So that's the year three. Then you have year four, five, and six. That's another four, four, and four. That's $16 million, (laughs) y'all. If you fired him today, like they go in, say, drink, you're done. Do you know how much money that is? That's $11.2 million that you owe him immediately. 11.2. Plus, you know, whatever coach you want to bring in, which I've seen the names getting floated out there. They ain't cheap. <laughs> They're not. All those names that you want come with a hefty price tag. Bob Stoops is available. He is. You know how much he wants? I'm sure it'll be cheap. And take a hometown discount. You're right. The hometown discount. Yes. Yeah. God, he's probably going to ask like five, six million. Probably going to want six years, five or six years. Yeah, no thank you. Plus, isn't he, wasn't he an XFL coach? Yeah, he's ready to yeah, go. Yeah, he's been He's been sticking in the game. Yeah. Oh, he's, <laughs> yes. He's, he's just updating his resume day to day, waiting for that call. He's been, That's he's all this been waiting is. his entire life to coach the Missouri Tigers. So, no, financially, no, that's, it's not going to happen. This is that we are, Missouri is not Alabama. They don't have just, you know, a, a, an army of checkbooks just ready to, to write whatever you want, to get whatever you want, to, to do whatever you want to, with that program. We don't have that. We're not even in Nebraska where we can fire somebody three weeks before it would be cheaper to do so. Oh. Uh, that's, we're not, Missouri's not that. So you have to be smart financially and firing a guy. Not even three games into his third year is a silly, silly financial exercise. It's not going to happen. Now, let's look at the optics, BK. What happens when you fire a coach after four years who is a hometown alum, and then you turn around and fire the next guy not even a full three years into his tenure? Do you think that looks good on the job market, BK? No, um, I don't think it matters as much as people indicate. Like, I I really don't think – I think a lot of coaches – that Missouri will be in the bidding for will just be happy to have a job in the SEC making three to four million dollars per year. Like, I, I don't think they would look at Eli Drinkwitz and say, you he was done wrong. I think they would look at it as saying, this is my opportunity. Um, however, that doesn't make it any l- more likely that Missouri would do something like this. It would be it would be stupid and irresponsible of them to do something like this. I understand everybody, like, like I said, I'm mad too. If you're upset right now and you're just like irrationally lashing out in all directions, that's pretty much what I've been doing over the last three days as well. So I get it. 
But I hope that everybody by this weekend comes to the understanding that Drinkwitz is not getting fired, nor should he be fired. He's going to get at least another year after this season to figure out if he is the guy or not. Mm -hmm. And frankly, all of us should be rooting for him to be the guy because everything is much less complicated if that ends up being the way this goes. If Drinkwitz just proves that that was an outlier and it was a weird performance with bad weather and a rain delay and everything just went to hell in a handbasket very fast, well then, this could still end well for him and for Missouri. If it goes poorly, though, you're back in the roulette game of trying to find the next head coach. Yep. And man, I don't know if you guys have looked at the coaching cycles over the last few years, but that ends poorly more often than not. Most coaches don't work out. And so if you have to go back to that market again, you're giving that guy another three to four years. And at that point, it will have been a decade since Missouri was relevant in football. So, uh, yeah, I, I would say maybe let's hold off here on the whole time to fire drink. What's thing? Yeah. Let's give him a little more time. Absolutely. I mean, again, let's go back to Nebraska. Scott Frost was a slam dunk hire. Yeah. Slam Everybody dunk. thought that was going to work. Everybody. I thought it was a great hire. Everybody thought it was going to work. He's fired. Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. Perfect. Mm -hmm. He had a great offensive style. It was going to mesh well with that defense. He was a good program builder, great culture guy. Fired. Fired. Just not a chance. No, you know who I thought was a can't miss hire was Will Muschamp at Florida. I mean, yeah, yeah, that should have been it. That should like been can't it. miss. He he was the the coach in waiting at Texas. Everything about him screamed this guy's just a a tremendous defensive mind, and he's going to be successful at a ferocious at that point in time. We thought uh, recruiter. It just, it it went horribly, horribly wrong, obviously. Absolutely. So, yeah. I mean, Dan Mullen, Dan Mullen at Florida. Well, how could that go a, wrong? That's a Florida problem, but it's also a Dan Mullen problem. <laughs> Agreed, but also a Dan Mullen problem. But like, this is kind of the thing. We learn stuff that we weren't expecting yeah. when somebody gets hired at a new program. Yeah. Stuff goes I wrong. I mean, go back to Matt Rule at Baylor. Like, Really? You're taking the temple coach. Mm -hmm. You're taking the temple coach and you're going to. And he said, God told him that to, to take the job. <laughs> and that was why he ended up there. You're going to take an air raid personnel and put him in this smashy smash, you know, ground and pound. Like, oh yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, uh, that worked out really well. Sam Pittman. God, yeah. Sam, what am I talking about? Sam Pittman. You're going to take a, a career offensive line coach. Who's never been a head coach anywhere who's got no experience in program building, no experience in operating at a at a school with lower resources than his peers, knocking it out of the park, man. Knocking it out of the park. You just you don't know. And I would rather this is this is true for almost any coaching staff, so like I understand I'm biased. But as a Missouri fan, I would rather take the devil I know and give him some time than to start this whole process all over again especially in the transfer portal era when the coach leaves and then that very talented roster just gets picked completely apart. All of it. And then yep. all that recruiting that we just did for the past two years was for nothing. And that's what you're basically telling people. Hey, you know what you did the past two years means nothing because they're all going to be gone. So no, no Drinkwitz gets all of this year. He is going to get all of next year, no matter what uh, bar 
from from a football <laughs> from a purely football standpoint, he will get the, in the next two years no matter what. At the conclusion of the twenty three season, I don't know what to tell you because we don't know what happens here or the next year. But he is going to be giving that from this university, whether he takes it or not is completely up to him. But guys, he's not going to get fired. We can we can I, we can safely put that one to bed. By the way, one other that is like the the perfect example of what we're talking about. Mm. Tom Herman was guaranteed to be a good <laughs> coach wherever he went. Yep. Like he was guaranteed. And some of these, to your point, are like, oh, that's a that school problem. Well, it could also don't say it too loud, but it could also be a Missouri problem. Could be. Could be. <laughs> Gary Pinkle was really good here and did everything well for a like a solid decade of like this is the pinnacle of what Mizzou football can look like. Hasn't gone so great since then. Uh, the administration's kind of been a mess. Mm-hmm. Football side of things has kind of been a mess. Basketball side of things kind of been a mess. Mm-hmm. They've moved to the SEC. They are sinking lower and lower in the uh, the amount of their budget every year, their expenses. Like it's it's not great at, at Mizzou right now. So yeah, let, let's let's give this thing some time. Yeah. Let, let's see if if this can work with Eli Drinkwitz. Yeah, absolutely. And I say that as somebody who's frustrated. Agree. I'm right there with you. So along those frustrations, let's revisit Kansas State real quick. Like I said, my Beyond the Box score dropped today. Read it if you dare. I tried to make it entertaining, and I tried to tell you something that you might not have known. But let's face it, you knew Missouri got stomped, and this this is more just num- putting numbers to the stomping. I don't know, BK, if, if you rewatched it or if you had any further thoughts, but Basically, as I was watching it, number one, the the touchdown at the end of the, of the end of the game made me somehow even more mad. The second time that I watched it, I would rather have lost forty to six <laughs> instead of being like the little uh, uh, chicken crab kind of way that he did it, where he calling out timeouts and taking penalties and and just doing everything he could to to make him look better. That oh I, hey I scored a touchdown here like get get rid of that junk. Anyway, nothing went well. There was there was not a single goal that I outlined. That truly went Missouri's way. So, of course, it was, a, it was a thorough stomping. The interesting thing to me is this. Number one, there was, against Louisiana Tech, uh, Missouri's defense allowed a pretty decent success rate in the first quarter and then had continuing diminishing returns for the opponent's offense. So, like, the defense got stronger as the game went on. That happened here, too, believe it or not. Now, Kansas State had a 50% success rate in the first quarter where they're just knifing through that defense. But really, I mean, so far, what we've seen in two games is Blake Baker goes, you know, takes the first quarter, goes, okay, that's what you want to do, tight, and then slowly just erases it. Uh, so that that was that was good to see. They had a fifty percent success rate in Q one, thirty three percent in quarter two, nineteen percent in quarter three. Then you get to quarter four and backups start going in and they jump back up. Yeah. But that's neither here nor there. Missouri actually had a really good quarter moving the ball in the third quarter. It just so happened that coincided with the one where they gave three interceptions in three straight possessions. So, you know, what, mm-hmm. whatever. So we really didn't get to see what, what could have been. And at that point, the game was out of reach. So I thought that was interesting, mostly from a defensive standpoint, that this defense, which we see goes boom and then also goes boom and gives up big plays, has this ability so far to kind of dial it in as the game goes on. You would like that to start in the first quarter, but BK, I mean, there are worse things than getting better as the game goes on. Yeah, no, for sure. And like, I think they were just, they were dead in the water on Saturday. They they never had a chance because of what the offense did to them. And 
I, I mean, you see the the short fields, the interceptions. They had a punt return touchdown in that game as well. It looks worse than what the real tangible results were defensively. So I, I actually think overall, I was mostly, and, and I mean this, mostly okay with the way that the defense performed. The first quarter was really frustrating, um, especially those first two drives where they just it was like a warm knife through butter. Yeah. They had no chance to be able to stop them. Everything was just super efficient. They were getting everything they wanted. So that was frustrating. But after that, I mean, punt, 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 field goal, miss field goal, field goal. And then finally the dam breaks after the third straight or fourth straight interception and they get the touchdown drives. Mm-hmm. Like they gave you every opportunity offensively to be able to get back into that one. So credit where it's due. I think Blake Baker seems to be a pretty good defensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. And I say that after they allowed 40 points this weekend, 33 of which, of course, came defensively. So that might sound like a weird thing to say after this game, but I'm pretty confident that Missouri has an upgrade. And for the first time, really, since Ryan Walters, they've got a real defensive coordinator. Absolutely. The other thing, and, and this is, this is again, we're, I'm going back to criticizing Eli Drinkwitz, so, so bear with me here. I don't, I, I am frustrated by the lack of downfield passing. Let me just put that out there. And I understand that, that aspect of the game is not something that he is predicates his offense on. Everything's built off of a successful run game. And those looks, you know, for the defense, they look similar. And then you kind of build your, your, your passing attack off of those looks. And then eventually, you know, everyone's moving side to side and then you bust a big one, you go over the top. Okay. I, I understand. I understand the tactics. I understand it. It's not getting to that point though. You're still, you're basically spending all the game first gear because your your offense your offensive line can't open holes your running back can't run so then you're resorting to the horizontal passing game which everyone's already playing up to the line of scrimmage so like everything's just really 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 it's in a, it's in a phone booth that's really really tight and everything gets stopped at the line you need to see some downfield passing and I, maybe you don't have the quarterback for it but I know you have the receivers for it so even if the quarterback can't do it accurately just do it. Give it. Give him the threat of a downfield ball. Just give Luther Byrne a chance. Give Dominic Lovett a chance. Take a deep shot. Um, I, I I wrote this for for beyond the box score, and then you you pointed out uh, that Bill Connolly wrote something very similar. Um, I want to I wanted to read this little portion here. Um, Bill says, in theory, the Drinkwitz offense is sound logic behind a good horizontal passing game. If you can stretch opponents from sideline to sideline and give opposing linebackers too much to handle, you can open up holes for your running backs between the tackles. But Mizzou has only averaged 1.4 deep shots, which is a pass 30 or more yards downfield, per game in the entire Drinkwitz tenure. Mm. Let me say that again. Mizzou has averaged 1.4 deep shots, which is a pass of 30 or more yards per game in Eli Drinkwitz's entire tenure. Dur- I would be so curious to know how many of those were on flea flip. <laughs> yes. I, like, I, I know that's a weird thing to say, but I'm really curious to know how many of those were the results of the used flea to flip. do that all the time in 2020 has yet to do mm-hmm. it during that same time frame. Only 16 teams have averaged fewer than 1.4 deep shots per game. Only 16. So, Thank you, Godfather, Bill Connolly. That's an excellent stat. But it goes back to 
he his offensive scheme keeps the defense close to the line of scrimmage. And if you're only running and throwing quick passes, they're already right there. So you need to do something to break this up. And I'm not telling him anything he doesn't know. So he's either telling me, A, no, I'm Gary Pinkle. We do what we do. It's going to work eventually. Or B, we don't have a quarterback who can do it, so I'm not going to risk it. Which I don't know what to tell him at that point. But you need to have the illusion of a deep threat whether you actually have it or not, because if you just keep everybody on the line of scrimmage, everything gets shut down very quickly. I, this is the most frustrating part of the offense. And I thought it was a Basilek problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I think that I'm, it's becoming clear. It's not. I do think Basilek was a problem last year. I just don't think he was the problem with this specific aspect to Missouri's offense. So when you look at the way that Brady Cook played last week, for example, I'm pulling up these numbers from Pro Football Focus right now. He was one for five on passes of 20 or or more yards. So it's not the exact same numbers as what Bill used. He used the 30 plus. This year, he or this week, rather, he was one for two on passes, or excuse me, one, one for five once again on pass attempts of 20 or more yards. So he attempted a few more this week. Like overall, he's got 10, what I would consider to be deep shots over the last two weeks now. They just are not connecting on any of them. And a lot of that was late in this game when everybody knew that game's already over. And last week, it was just a few different deep shots that they were going after. And I I thought the offense overall looked better last week. But I, I don't know how to explain it, man eventually Eli Drinkwitz has to take off the governor of this offense Mm -hmm. and he's got to be able to understand this could lead to some bad plays, but kind of like with Blake Baker's defense, that's okay. If you're willing to take some of the good with the bad net net, it can end up coming out ahead for you. Missouri's defense is taking more chances this year. And that's going to result in some big plays going in the other direction. They're going to bite on some fakes that you don't want to. They're going to get caught in a zero blitz and the offense is going to have the exact perfect play to be able to take advantage of it where they get behind them and they score a touchdown off of it. But they're also going to have some of those plays where they're coming on the perfect blitz at the perfect time and they get a seven yard uh, loss as a result. And then they they punt two plays later because of that seven yard loss or they, they create an interception that scores for them defensively. Those are the kinds of things that you've got that trade-off for. Offensively right now, it almost feels as if Missouri's playing keep away. Mm -hmm. Where they're like, how long can we keep the ball from the opposing team? (laughs) They're playing Iowa-style offense without Iowa-style defense. And that doesn't work. It's not... Coaches always talk about complementary football. And Missouri's not playing that right now. They're playing as if they've got the 85 Bears defense... (laughs) And they've got a super average defense, which is a massive upgrade from what it was a year ago. But you can't beat teams that are better or more talented than you when this is the way that you're playing offensively. You have to take risks. And Eli Drinkwitz is just incredibly risk averse, which is weird because his personality would suggest completely otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's <laughs> Iowa offense is just ugh, makes me throw up in my mouth here's here's the i think thing. they've scored 14 points on the season so far yeah 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 that's bad that's about 10 too much um 
I, 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 his name gets thrown around like a boogeyman, and I know my relationship with with this tenure has been uh, weird. But you know, th- this game felt very much like a Barry Odom game in a couple different ways. Number one, agreed. Well, it was a commitment to things that don't work and clearly don't work. <laughs> you just you can't just football your way through things that don't work. And then number two, outside of twenty twenty, where we had some happy surprises. Eli's got a very Barry Odom record against teams with winning records or teams that finish the year ranked. Right? If, if, if a team's got better athletes or just better program, Eli loses. If his guys are better than the others, you know, better, better cohesion, better culture, better athletes, then he wins. But you play in the SEC where everybody's a peer or better, so you gotta you gotta find ways, you gotta find scheme and tactics to to work around a deficit and. So far, we haven't seen that because his answer is just to do the same thing harder. So, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, but I'd really like to see him have some adaptability. And I really like him to see to trot out that offense we saw against Louisiana Tech in other games other than that one because that was really cool and I enjoyed it. This game reminded me so much, and I've seen other people reference this as well. It reminded me so much of that blowout loss against Purdue where it was like, yeah. whoa, yeah. what is going on here? Because at the time, Jeff Brom, I think he was hired exactly at the same time as as Barry, if I'm no, not he mistaken. Was a year, Maybe he was it was a year, a year early. It was his first year, third game. Okay, so that, that's that's what it was. So he was hired a year earlier, and it felt like he had his program on the upswing while Eli drink or excuse me, while Barry Odom <laughs> yeah. was somehow stagnating, it, it didn't make a whole lot of sense at the time. And so you had Jeff Brom. I think he had like a big upset prior. Was that the year that they beat Ohio State, if I'm not mistaken? Yep. Um, so it was like, it, this, this doesn't make any sense. Why, why is he able to do all of this? And Missouri just is not they're not having the progress that we were expecting. And then they just absolutely shredded Mizzou um, in that game. So you've got that. And this felt that way where you're looking across the state and you're going over to Manhattan and you're like, wait, but they don't have the recruiting success that Eli Drinkwitz has. They haven't had as much success in the portal as Eli Drinkwitz has had. He hasn't really been there a significant amount of time so why is he so much further along in what his plan is and Chris Kleiman than where Eli Drinkwitz is right now on a field where the two are playing against one another head-to-head it doesn't make sense so that's the only game that I can really point to that felt like this so Mm -hmm. when you when you mentioned that this felt like a Barry Odom game man I did that was the game from Barry Odom that it reminded me so much of yeah it was the it was the Purdue 17 game with the Wyoming 19 game playbook of yeah. just yeah, a couple of passes that were successful, but mostly going nowhere. And then just run, 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 grind you down, mm-hmm. which is not an accident. Again, you know, Craig bowl at Wyoming and Chris Kleiman at K state, they were both North Dakota state head coaches. That's what they do. So um, don't schedule anybody who used to play or coach at North Dakota state. Let's, let's do that. So we get to Abilene Christian this this week, and this is an FCS team. It's not a particularly good one. Their head coach, Keith Patterson, was Texas Tech's defensive coordinator last year, which, remember, Sonny Cunby was Texas Tech's offensive coordinator last year, so that's kind of a hmm. weird quirk. He has never been a head coach before. Uh, he took over an Abilene Christian team that's not very good, but they're 2-0. and 
they are 2-0 behind a, a, a pretty dang good defense uh, and, a, and an offense that will be good uh, because they took uh, – the head coach from Mary Harden Baylor in D3, which is an offensive juggernaut dynasty down there, won multiple national championships, brought him into the OC chair. That's a air raid, warp speed, super cool running schemes. They're also the 101st best offense in FCS, so like they're not very good. Uh, here's here's my thing about ACU, and this this is really my thing for any FBS for or versus FCS matchup when it comes to Missouri, but but particularly now. Clearly, Eli Drinkwitz has lost the majority of the trust from the Missouri fan base. That I, I don't think we we need to argue that. No. And and this team might not be very good. It might it, it could be better than last year, but like I've said all offseason, this schedule, this team could actually be better, and you wouldn't see it in the win loss record. It's just it's a tough schedule. So if they're not even if they're not improving from last year, then it's going to be even worse. So. I'm not trying to doom and gloom here. I know that's like my thing and everything, but like, I'm just saying, if you're going to be bad, you need to be interesting. And if you're not going to put out an interesting offense to pair with your interesting defense, a really easy way of keeping the fan base's interest is to pitch them on the future, to mortgage losses in the present for potential wins in the future. Because if you're going to lose games with your Odom vets and your transfers in, okay, well, you're also going to lose games with, you know, that blue chip defensive tackle you brought in from St. Charles and that blue chip defensive end you brought in from Boonville mm-hmm. and that four-star quarterback you got from Georgia and that four-star running back you got from Texas. Like, if you're going to lose with the guys that you already have, you can also lose with the future, but that's way more interesting because then we get to see what they're doing. We get to get them some experience. We get to see what made them a blue chipper. And if, they, if they're not any good, then we figure it out now. Figure it out now. Like we said, you're not getting fired at the end of this year, and you're probably not going to get fired at the end of next year. You should act like you have a longer leash than you do, and Eli Drinkwitz just doesn't do that. So my, my request is to play the youth. Play the young guys a lot. I understand the starters are the starters, and they're probably going to play the first quarter, and they're probably going to play most of the second quarter. But show us that talent that you brought in. If you're going to be bad, be interesting. If you're going to be the best recruiter this school's ever seen, then play that talent. Play it. Pitch us on a hope for the future. Because if you've already lost our, our goodwill, then you need to find a different way to bring it back. And the best way to do that is to show off those shiny four stars and give us hope that it, we, got, we got wins in the, in the near future down the line. Maybe not today, but tomorrow. And that's something that can keep people around. That's something that keeps the interest. And maybe you don't lose now, but in theory, you should be winning in the future. Yeah, and especially in this game, right? You can get away with playing those guys in this game because you're not playing them in any others. So like, let's be honest here. He's he's not going to put them in the game against Florida or Vandy or South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, Arkansas. The chances are they're just not going to... Th- if you didn't see the field that game against Kansas State, you damn sure aren't going to see the field against those other teams no, that I just mentioned. No. When that game got as lopsided as it did, bad weather, like every reason to put in your backups existed in that game. <laughs> the backup quarterback mm-hmm. got into the game for two drives, and we know how hesitant Eli Drinkwitz is to do that, and they still didn't put in most of those young guys. So you're not at risk of like burning a red shirt or something if you end up no. playing guys in this game no. because they can get into four games. So just do it. Mm-hmm. In, in the second half, 
this game should completely be over. I should have already written my five takeaways <laughs> and I have to rewrite something because one of the freshmen comes out, does something that's super interesting. And we say to ourselves, huh, maybe we could see more of them down the stretch yeah. and it'll be against Abilene Christian. So it'll mean nothing <laughs> and we probably won't see them anymore, but at least make us think it at least give us the mirage mm -hmm. of us being out in the desert and you giving us that one drop of water mm -hmm. that just feels like it is an oasis in the desert for us. <laughs> That's all we need right now. We will cling to anything. So make that be Sam Horn. Yeah. Please. Yeah. Please. please. That's all I ask. And if you lose, then, you know, burn the season down. We'll start over next year. Yeah. I don't have nothing else to say. BK, any parting thoughts? I think that's it, man. They just don't allow this to be a game in the second half. Please, as long yeah. as you don't allow, I, I have nothing else to say about it other than just this cannot be a game in the second half, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. I am not worried about that. So if it is, uh, you have my permission to freak out. That's the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can rate us. We love all types of feedback from you all. You can follow us on Twitter at Matt and AG Edwards. He's at BK Sports Talk. And, of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to do better next time. And until then, M-I-Z. Z-O-U. -Z.